Welcome to the English service of the Christian Bible Church of the Philippines. My name is Pastor Nathan, and I am the youth pastor here at CBCP. I am privileged to be the Lord's messenger for his word this morning. Last week, Pastor Jared challenged us through the first part of 1 Peter chapter 4. He challenged us to consider whether we are living for ourselves and to the passions of our flesh, or whether we are living for God and his will, according to his purposes and furthering his mission for us. Pastor Jared also challenges us to differentiate between lust and love. Have we been lusting over the people and things in our lives, or have we actually been loving God and others through our lives? Last month, one of my most favorite shows of all time was acquired by Netflix, HBO's Band of Brothers. This show features a true-to-life story of Easy Company, of the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne Division and their mission in World War II. Early in their training, the men of Easy Company were under a captain named Herbert Sobel. Captain Herbert Sobel had a reputation of taking his job very seriously, quickly being recognized as one of the strictest officers in the U.S. Army at that time. He prepared Easy Company to become the best company of the division and wanted them to be the most prepared for combat for the war. He trained them harder than any other company, and his leadership style was strict, harsh, and he would humiliate his troops for often minor infractions. And as the day of flying into Europe to fight the World War drew near, the U.S. troops under Easy Company refused to follow Captain Sobel into the war, to the point that many of his soldiers approached the office and returned their stripes, meaning that they retired, meaning that they quit the army because they saw that the, the captain that they were following is not a captain that they wish to go to war with, fight shoulder to shoulder, and die for. I tell this story because ultimately the challenge for us as pilgrim ambassadors is not whether we will live a good life here or whether we will be holy here. The ultimate question is whether we think Jesus, our captain, is a captain worthy to be followed into war with, to die for, and ultimately to live for. Is he a captain you admire from a distance? Yeah, he's very good. He has nice teachings. He's very disciplined. He has very wise words. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, when life comes to death, is he a captain you're willing to die for and live for? In the case of Easy Company, they loved Captain Sobel. He was strict. He made them buff. They appreciated his efforts, his discipline. They made them fit, but they did not trust him with their lives. How about us, church? Do we see Jesus as a captain who is beneficial for our training, but not really trustworthy for our lives? Who is Jesus to you? Because today's message will be something that will ask that of us. 
suffering for the name, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. Just like Easy Company was ultimately sent to Europe to take back victory, the thesis of this whole book of 1 Peter is that Christians are citizens of heaven, but sent here on earth on temporary mission to reclaim what was lost. We are soldiers of the army of Jesus Christ sent on a mission to take back what belongs to him. Given this gravity of this mission, world war, there will be opposition that we face as we find ourselves deep in opposing territory. This is what Apostle Peter is talking to us about our passage for today. We must expect opposition because of the name we represent. We are not Germans. We are Americans. We are not of the world. We are of heaven. Simply having that name across our chest invites suffering for us. Let's read our passage together. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fury trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We'll look at our texts in three points. As pilgrims following the way of Christ, suffering should not surprise us, suffering should graft us onto Christ, and suffering should invite us into trust. Before we look at those three points, allow me to frame the suffering that Peter is talking about here. Peter is not talking about all kinds of suffering, where this world, just like what Rev. Jen was talking about, has suffering that often falls on us. Peter today is not talking about general suffering like sickness or, or business suffering or, or, or pain or health or physical or mental suffering. He's talking about Christian suffering. He's talking about suffering of Christ, suffering that are for the name of Christ. So our passage for today is not talking about all kinds of suffering that we are all going through, but it's focusing on a specific type of suffering. He's speaking about a suffering that is caused simply by having Christ on our chest. Sticking with the frame of World War II, the Jews suffered not because they did something, they suffered because simply they were Jews. And so for us, Peter is saying, you will suffer simply because you are in the name of Christ, because you are a Christian. So let that frame allow us in to enter into our discussion. Suffering should not surprise. 
It reads here, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were to happen to you. In our context here in the Philippines, we actually grew up in a Christian country. Wherever you turn, you would see an image of a baby Jesus, or you would see a Roman Catholic church, and we would be praying and hearing about Jesus ever since we were kids. Majority of our schools are either Roman Catholic or Christian, and majority of Philippine churches are also Roman Catholic or Christian. So Jesus wasn't something foreign. Jesus wasn't something secondary. It was something, someone we grew up with. And so when we read passages like this in Peter, often we are left to wonder and having to intentionally scar our brains and our memories for times when we suffered for the name of Jesus. Have I suffered? Jesus? Has it been difficult to follow Jesus? It's kind of difficult. Because it was really easy. So, for us to truly understand what Peter is talking about, this fiery trial, we would need to transport ourselves for a while back to the original audience. You see, Peter's original audience was a church that was existing in a society unlike the Philippines. It was existing in a society, in a country, in a nation that saw that Jesus was opposed to everything that they were trying to accomplish. They were existing in a society that was hostile to them, that was violent to them, that was murderous to them, simply by their association with the church. And let's take a closer look at what Peter starts with in this chapter. Here we see a gentle pastor writing to his church. He calls them beloved. Notice that he did not discount the fact that they were going through, indeed, a fiery trial. The adjective he actually used to describe the trial was a burning, painstaking, very, very hot, mainit na mainit, nakakapaso. He was communicating to the church that, yes, my beloved, what you are going through is indeed burningly painful. He also says, but do not be surprised at this burning, painful trial. It would have been very natural for him to say, nah, it's nothing. I've gone through worse than that. But Peter, being a gentle pastor, is saying, yes, you are going through a fiery trial. Let me acknowledge that. But again, he says, also, do not be surprised. It burns, but don't be surprised. It hurts exceedingly much, but do not be surprised. Why? Why would Peter say this? Why shouldn't Christians, disciples, followers of Christ be surprised when they are persecuted, hated, insulted, and suffering for the name of Christ? Why? Why shouldn't we be surprised? We are reminded of what Peter has already established in the earlier portions of his book. In chapter 2, verse 21, it reads, For to do this, to do good and endure suffering, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
In chapter 3, verse 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. In 4, verse 1, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Throughout the book, he has been sprinkling Christ's suffering. He was telling them that Christians are called to live their lives in Christ, in total followership of Christ. But this Christ that they followed, this Christ that we are following, is not a Christ who walked in the world with roses and butterflies. He was framing their view of Christ as one who walked on earth bleeding, shattered, and with a crown of thorns. He was reminding them that who they followed was their example to what they were entering into. He was reminding them that Christ, though he was the innocent one, suffered in the hands of the guilty. And by his wounds, the same guilty people are healed. It was a great exchange, an exchange that caused Christ suffering. In 3.18, he reminds us that through suffering, the method of suffering, Christ reconciled men with God. Suffering was the method of Christ's salvation. Healing and reconciliation was achieved through a life of suffering. In chapter 4, verse 1, Peter was reminding us to have this same mindset throughout the time of our exile, to live lives that endure suffering for a little while during our time. We must have this way, arm ourselves with this way of thinking. Because our master showed us how the mission will be accomplished. And so we must not be surprised. It was through suffering that we gained an example. It was through, through suffering that we gained our calling. It was through suffering of the innocent that we are brought to God. It was through suffering that Christ lived his entire existence. It is through suffering that we follow Christ. Peter, throughout the whole book, has been framing suffering not to just say, yeah, yeah, it hurts, it hurts. He's saying, look at Christ. Look at him. Look at what he gone through. Look at how he lived. Look at how he accomplished our salvation. Suffering, suffering, suffering. He walked on the road of suffering. His whole life was lived in the address of suffering street. If Christ thought suffering was so necessary for this life, for his 33 years, for his mission, for his short missionary trip, suffering was completely necessary, then as followers of this Christ, we must no longer be surprised at the necessity of suffering for the cause of accomplishing our mission. And so instead of minimizing Christian suffering, yeah, yeah, it hurts, he says, look at how Christ suffered. He framed the fiery trial in the gigantic suffering of Christ. You will suffer for a little while. 
And so as we begin to understand why suffering should not surprise us, we must begin with Christ. Christ suffered for us that we might be reconciled with God. Christ lived a life of suffering that we might understand God's calling. Christ suffered, therefore we must be prepared to suffer in our following him. In this passage in John chapter 15, verse 18 to 21, Jesus himself told his disciples of this. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus himself was warning disciples early on. He doesn't use soft words. Yeah, yeah, they will kind of not like you. He says they will hate you. They will hate you. They will not like you. Nothing about you will be attractive to them. Nothing at all about your life will be attractive to them. You repel them. Just like my life of suffering, the way of the cross repelled them. It's something so opposite to what they desire to have for themselves. Therefore, they will not want to associate, associate with one who associates with sinners, who spends time with beggars, instead of partying with politicians and power people, no one would want to be friends with that kind of man. It's not because they reject you. They're rejecting you on account of your following my ways and my name. My way of life is unattractive to them. Therefore, if you follow and live in my way of life, they will not follow your way of life. He was reminding them the master that they were following. Disciples, disciples, look at my life. Did the, did the world love me? Did the world keep my word? Did the world value everything that I was? And look on the cross. He was hanging alone, naked, ashamed. Even the disciples left him. Then he's saying, Follow me. He says, if they did all this to me, the disciples scanning everything that happened in Jesus' life, he says, expect that they will do all this to you too. Expect. No. Know that it has hated me before it has hated you simply because you are mine. And so church, we have a challenge for us today. Have we entered into Christianity and to end to our followership with Christ, being promised of the blessings? Oh, you will have more friends. You'll feel more alive. You'll feel more peaceful. You'll be saved from your problems. 
And the prosperity gospel will even tell you that you will become richer, you will not get sick, your children will have a better future. Just claim it. In Christ, Christ wants you to live the life of abundance and joy. And yet, that teaching doesn't match the life that Christ himself lived. Today, Peter is asking us not to be surprised. What stands is Christ and his example. He has called us here to give life as a ransom for others, just like he did. He has called us here not to be served, but to serve, just like what Boksu Jeremiah told Pastor July. He was called to be poured out as an offering for the sins of the unrighteous, the guilty, enjoyed the suffering of the innocent. He was sent not to have a life for himself so that he can, I, okay, I'll go on earth and establish my rule. Not really, but in actuality, yes, but the method is through the road of suffering. To die so that others might live, so that his power may be seen. We follow a master whose life, calling, example, purpose, mission, priority were written on the road of suffering. And so for us, the moment we profess, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, I will follow you, I will build my life. You are building your life on the road of suffering. Your address now reads, 11 Suffering Road. Suffering village, suffering city. That is, if you truly live as you are called. That is, if you truly live as pilgrim ambassadors of the suffering Christ. But, if somehow we've come to believe that our masters suffered little, it would lead us to live a life that also suffers very, very little. If we think that Christianity is all about kumbaya, fellowship, Sunday worship, yes, I want to go to Bible study, roses and flowers, butterflies and rainbows, then that would ultimately filter everything that we think God wants us to do and wants us to be and wants us to undertake. If we believe that God's will is consisting of all smiles and laughter, happiness and joy, then we'd be so disoriented at every instance where we try to follow Christ and it is not convenient and it sucks and it's difficult and it's counterculture. So when we look at that opportunity, ang hirap, it's so hard. It requires so much suffering. I might have shame. People will not like me if I say this. Maybe that's not God's will for me. God wants me to be happy. Why would he ask me to be ridiculed with my friends? He wants me to have friends, right? So maybe I shouldn't say what I think I should be saying. Because if we think our master suffered little, then every choice we have in life will be filtered through the least amount of suffering available. I'll choose this because it's too hard. Thomas Jefferson, the third US president, is infamous by taking the Bible and cutting out portions which he thought 
was not aligned to his reason. In doing so, he caricatured his own Jesus, one that suited the God that he thought was appropriate for life. Have we done this also to our image of Jesus? Have we cut out the portions of Jesus that make us feel at a loss? Dejado. Make us feel that we're standing on our back foot. Maybe we have forgotten pages, portions of the life of Christ, particularly how he suffered. And that's why we have led lives that are so convenient, so suffering less, so allergic to suffering. We are suffering proof our lives, risk proof our social endeavors, shame proof our gospel sharing. I will share it in the most subtle way so that I'll talk about Jesus, but they won't even notice I talked about Jesus. We avoid every way around the path of suffering. Reroute, reroute, tayo, reroute. Wag tayo dumanjan. But if we truly understand that our master is a suffering Lord, if we truly believe and reconcile to ourselves how much Christ suffered for the unrighteous, how much Christ caused himself shame, ridicule, he was spat on, he was naked, he was killed, he was devalued, he was unimportant in the eyes of the important. If we understand the Christ that we suffer and we profess to follow him, then suddenly we realize that the life we live is so unworthy of the master we follow. How can we call ourselves followers of Christ? We don't even live the way that he lives. I'm talking to myself also. Recently, just this past week, I was out with my friend. This friend I've been praying for for a long time. Before that meetup, I was talking to God. I was telling God, Lord, finally, I'll share the gospel, I promise. It's been a long time. I've prayed about this. I've repented. I've made so many mistakes. I've held myself back so many times. When I get to our meetup, give me the courage. I had the desire. I had the opportunity. I was sitting there with him having our coffee. And then the same thoughts came into my mind. What if my friend doesn't understand what I'm talking about? What if my friend doesn't appreciate me bringing up such a random topic when we're talking about normal stuff like our other friends, our updates in life? Why would I bring up God suddenly? I'm, I'm, I'm so weird. I'm so socially insensitive I'm so inconsiderate of what he wants to talk about why would I do that fast forward I never shared the gospel I went home and as I was preparing this message that thing that I did not do came back to my mind 
I was telling myself, Lord, am I wrong? Isn't it right to be respectful? Isn't it right to be socially, you know, sensitive? Your emotional quotient should be, you know, you be sensitive to what your friend wants to talk about. But to be honest, I realized I was just excusing myself. I was excusing myself because I don't want to even consider possibility of the conversation dying because of something I said. Because that would make me feel senseless. It would make me feel like I'm not a good conversationalist. It would make me feel that I'm not a good friend. And if you listen to everything that I just said, it's all about me. I didn't want to feel uncomfortable. I didn't want to think that I was a socially awkward person. I did not want to tell myself that I was a bad conversationalist. It was all about my concerns and things that I did not want to let go of, things I did not want to suffer. I loved myself more, more than I loved my friends hearing the good news of Jesus. If Christ lived in that way, if Christ thought like Nathan did, would he have gone to the cross? Would we have received our salvation? If Christ thought, mm, maybe I don't want to die naked. Maybe I don't want to die for someone so stupid. Maybe I don't want to die for someone so unrighteous. Maybe I don't want to be seen as someone unimportant. Maybe I don't want to be awkward in my conversations. Let's not correct these wrong beliefs that they have. then Christ's whole ministry is gone. His whole life crumbles. Why? Because that's the way. That's the way of love. It says you're more important than me and I'm willing to take the cost that it takes for you to be saved. I bear your shame so that you can have life. I do not want to bear the shame for my friend. I wanted life for myself. And so as I'm preparing this message, everything that I'm saying today, it's home. I'm not suffering for Christ. I'm doing everything that's convenient for Christ, except suffering. Here's what I thought needed a slide. I was so surprised at how much effort it required that I simply concluded that it must not be something God wanted me to do. So far out, so much hurdles to cross, I have to, bro, I have something to talk to you about and I have to wait for his reaction. I have to say the message and I have to wait for his reaction. It's so unnatural. Probably God want, wants to give me another opportunity where it's more smooth. Smooth love. Jesus loves you. Kamusta? We expect a life of convenience. Where Christ lived a life of total inconvenience. Of total suffering. Everything was done at his cost. Nothing was preserved for him. Everything was taken from him. And yet we give nothing of ourselves. And we say, I'm a follower of Christ.
The moment Christians forget the life of Christ, his road of suffering, his method of suffering, his calling of suffering, is the same moment we fail to live the life of Christ, to share his road of suffering, to embrace his method of suffering, to obey his calling of suffering. Christ is our example. Christ is our motivation. Christ's act of love is what compels us to love others and sacrifice for them as well. Let's go to point two. Suffering should graft us onto Christ. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We see Peter here pairing the same sentence, joy and suffering, insults and blessings. The spirit of God resting on you when you are insulted. To to two ideas that seemingly we never put in the same sentence. He is saying that the road again to rejoicing and to blessedness is paved along the road of suffering. It's an upside down logic. You see, today in our society, even in Christian societies, we say, wow, you're so blessed. Wow, I'm blessed, Munaman. When do we say that? Of course, when your son is valedictorian, when your uh, kids graduate from college, or when they get an award, or when they get a really good job, or they get promoted, or they become a doctor, whatever. Bless God, wow, God is so good, you're so blessed, congratulations. We see this when people experience God's provision. We see this when they experience a gracious gift from God. Maybe they got pregnant, when they have a profound experience, when they get baptized when they have a fruitful personal devotion time with the Lord, wow, so blessed, I'm so blessed to hear that. God is so good, I'm so blessed. This is our society for today. But also, it was society of the disciples also when they first followed Jesus. In Luke 10, 1 and 17, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And then after, the 72 returned with joy, rejoicing, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. The disciples were celebrating. We are so blessed. We are, yes. This is what it is to be in the kingdom of God, to have power over demons. Yes, we're so, so blessed. That's how Christianity begins, following Jesus begins, but it shouldn't end there. The same disciples in Acts chapter five matured through the power of the Holy Spirit. We read this, and when Jewish re religious leaders had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. 
And so as we enter into Christianity, as we follow Christ, we begin to say we're blessed when we have profound experiences. But as we mature in following Christ, we must learn to realize that true blessedness is not just in the abundance, but also in the sharing of poverty, of suffering. Just like what the disciples did. Binugbog sila Sinindak, tumigil na kayo ah. Kapag nakita pa namin kayo, nagpa-preach, lagot kayo. That's scary. What would you do? They went out and said, Yes, Lord, we're so blessed. So blessed to be threatened like you, to be beat up like you. What? These guys are crazy. I highlighted this verse in my Bible so many years ago because I thought they were crazy. How can, you, how can you dance outside just after you left the doors? You rejoice. Are they having high fives? Yeah, bro. We're worthy to live the life of Christ now. We're worthy to share his tears, his pain, his bruises now. And they, their, their noses are bleeding, their eyes are black. We're blessed. What level is that? I remember I was in UP Diliman. I was sharing the gospel because of our requirement in a seminary. I was in campus, and this was notorious to be a campus that was difficult to share the gospel. And for this instance, the student that I was sharing the gospel to, did, uh, we were three of us. We were sent out also by threes. And then this student eventually gave us a fake name, fake answers, and fake prayers. I could sense it. He didn't want to accept Jesus, but he just told us his name was this and gave us his fake phone number. And after he left, all of us knew that they, he, he, he rejected us. One of my classmates, he was saying, we should have said the gospel in this way. We should have did it that way. We should have did it differently. We should have did it better. He felt like he failed. But if we think about Acts chapter 5, <laughs> the disciples were beaten and kicked for their message. And then they exited. Yeah. High five, high five. Their noses were bleeding. Did people accept the gospel? Did the Jewish leaders accept Jesus? No, they also didn't. But how come the disciples celebrated and us, the three of us in UP Dileman, we're not pastors. Maybe we should leave seminary. Can't even share the gospel to a student. And so First Peter is asking us to redefine what blessedness truly is. Blessedness is not at the outcomes. It's about the obediences. Spiritual blessedness is based on obedience, not on outcomes. Regardless of the suffering that you face, you are blessed when you obey. You are blessed when you share the life of Christ. You are blessed when you live the life of Christ. Not when you achieve the outcomes of Christ. That's entirely up to Him. But what's entirely up to us 
is if we are willing to walk the same road that he walked. And when you do, when you do, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he helped you live the life you would not otherwise live, you are blessed. This means that Christians, we not just say you are blessed when our Christian brothers and sisters have profoundly beautiful experiences. We must also speak blessing to those who are patiently enduring suffering, who are patiently obeying when outcomes are bruises and blood, shame and dishonor, rejection and what? Disrespect. Because they're counted worthy to share in the life of Christ to share in the sufferings of Christ. You're so blessed. You're so blessed. The Spirit of God rests upon you. It completely expands our view of blessedness. And so for those of you who are in that same spot, you feel that you are mistreated, you are losing out on friends, you're losing out on opportunity, you're losing out on advantages that could have been had if you had just abandoned your Christian ways, let me tell you today, you are blessed. 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 I'm not blessing you. Is Jesus himself saying that? Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For the, for the Christians who are suffering in the name of Jesus, you are joining a great cloud of witnesses. At this point, allow me to share the pulpit with one of my brothers in Christ. So for the live streamers, um, we will have to take a pause for the live stream as there will be sensitive information to be shared. Yeah. I hope the story of our Pakistani brothers and sisters caught your heart. They are our spiritual family. They are our spiritual brothers and sisters fighting the good fight on another country, in another land. Someday we'll all be together worshiping the same Jesus. But for now, as we are pilgrims in exile, let's run the race. Fight the good fight of faith. Take up our arms just like our brothers are in, our, in the other nations. Let me just jump to the last slide, uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 19. This is what Peter ends with. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 
Why would the pregnant woman be willing to lose their baby? Because they trust. She trusts in Jesus more than in life. She trusts in her creator more than in any circumstance here in the temporary world. So church, let us also continue to trust in God as we endure the suffering that it requires to be faithful to our mission, to be faithful to the method of Christ, to the life of Christ, to the way of Christ. Let us live lives worthy of our calling. So at this point, let me just invite you to have your own minute of silence as you listen to what the Lord wants to tell you from this morning's message. Then I will close us in prayer. as we close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for the life of suffering that you live for us. Because of your suffering, Lord, you have brought us peace. Because of your wounds, Lord, we are healed. Because of what you did, Lord, we are reconciled to God. And so in this reconciliation, we have received our own calling to live lives of purity, Lord, in the time of our exile. To live lives also worthy of who you are, our master who suffered on the way for the sake of love. And so continue to cultivate our love and to give us courage for suffering. We pray for our Pakistani brothers as well. May they continue to stand faithful despite the odds. May your love root them and anchor them in a life of faithfulness. Let me give you the benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I now bless you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen.